welcome to Agile in Toronto at Night, a badass Agile show. This week, my guest is Daria Bagana. She's a professional scrum trainer, scrum master, and coach. I met her because a friend of mine assumed that if I knew Agile, I must know Daria. She's worked for some of the biggest names in global tech and financial services. She's written a book on retrospectives and is now focusing on building her own community and teaching the world about Scrum. So let's grab a booth over by the window and order something worthy of a Tuesday night and come meet my friend, Daria Bagana. Daria, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm glad you can make time for me today. Come on in and sit down. How have you been? What's new? Oh, so many things happened since the beginning of the confinement, to be honest. Uh, too many things to mention. Yeah. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Yes, definitely. Well, I'm glad we have this time to catch up. So, be, you know, before we get started, grab your drink, say cheers. There we go. Cheers. So catch us up. When we, you, you and I have had a chance to work together a couple times before, and I always enjoy it. It's always pleasant working with you, and I like your style very much. Um, at the time, you were doing two things. You had released a book on retrospectives, and you were developing your site presence, and also you got your trainer certification and started doing uh, courses. And most recently, I think you switched to online course delivery. So how's that been going for you? Very good. Yes. I think at the beginning, it was a little bit stressful because none of the courses were ready for online. And then once we switched all of the courses, I'm actually enjoying it quite a lot. Yeah. I was always for the teams being all together in one room, but as we switched to virtual training and virtual meetings, um, I'm kind of enjoying it. That's yeah. great. So it's been successful for you, fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Now you bring up something that I think I've discussed with everyone that I've met since this started, which is that things are changing. We've adapted pretty well, wouldn't you say? I think, yeah. I think especially like the agile community really took this as a test for themselves to adjust to the situation i think so too and i think people have proven themselves to be really resilient and adaptive and i'm really interested in seeing what happens when we don't have to stay home anymore do you think that we will continue to work remotely or do you think there'd be a mass exodus back to the office towers oh ah. Uh... It's kind of a difficult question because I see both sides and I've um, been talking to some of my friends who in one way miss going to work. They say, I would love to switch, just be in different places, you know, uh, walk to work and then back for, from work to home and have more interactions, social interactions with people. But then at the same time, we still remember the constraints that being in the office sometimes creates for us. Maybe too much noise, you can't really focus on things, right? And then sometimes you have a, a, a day where you're kind of just sitting around and you would prefer to do something else at the time. So I, I don't know. It, I see a lot of companies that say after 
or starting now, it's work from home forever. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, you know what I hope? I'll tell you what I hope. One of the things about working together in the office is that there was this culture, the minute that we couldn't do it, there was a sense of panic that, well, how are we going to manage people and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing if we can't see them? And I think one of the things we're learning is that we can't do that anymore. We can't treat people like they can't be trusted and they have to be monitored and they have to punch a clock. So I think if something comes out of this, it will be proof positive that you can let people work whenever they want, wherever they want, and they'll do the right thing. Makes sense to us as Agilists, but I think to the rest of the corporate world, I hate to say it that way, but to people who haven't been trained in our paradigm, maybe it's not so obvious. And I think maybe it's becoming obvious. Would you agree? I think, I think in a way, it's something that I talked about recently in one of my um, blog posts is that it depends on the people. As you say, we can just let people work from home indefinitely and they will do the right thing. I'm kind of in, I'm torn. I feel that some people will and they, the people who are passionate, who understand and they want to deliver good quality work or build high quality products. And then there are some people who who have a much more difficult time to be self-motivated when there are no external kind of, let's say, forces That's a good point. helping maybe, them. Maybe it's not a question of just the trust, but it's maybe we need each other. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Here's something I don't know about you. Is uh, Do you remember the moment when you knew that Agile was going to be not only your career, but your way of making impact in the world? Ooh. (laughs) I think it's when I really decided to go for the trainer license is that I really thought to myself that this is the way to go. And I want people to know how to do it, you know? So is the beginning of your trainer journey, which I, I understand takes maybe like a year or more? For me, it was a couple of years. Right, yeah. right, okay. And what did you take from that other than the, the obvious training? What was your biggest learning through that process? Fail fast and learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one for Agilist, right? So are you now feeling like because you're a trainer, you might do less scrum mastering and coaching and more training? I am doing training, but I feel it's so necessary to have this real life experience to bring into the classroom because um, I don't feel that I can really teach others how to do it right if I don't have the experience. That's an excellent point. So you're going to stay current by just staying in the field. Yes, definitely. I definitely want to continue coaching, working with the teams. Um, you know, doing some more of leadership coaching and then helping the teams from the start uh, when they don't know how to, to, to do things yet and then letting them, getting them to the point where they can uh, act on themselves. So what do you think about this? Do you believe that now that you've been through the trainer process, do you think that you are a better scrum master or coach because you're a trainer? Do you think that every coach should have some aspect of development as a teacher? 
Now, not, not even now, I honestly think that being able to teach others is extremely important in this role, in the Agile coach or Scrum Master role. And I've seen it even before I started my trainer journey, as I saw that with through my ability to teach others, I could help them really uncover how to become better and also understand why Agile in general is a way to go, right? And through my training, I was able to really improve my ability to teach others to the point where they are interested in listening. And I think that's kind of a tough skill to, to get or to master, especially if you're new in the role. Right. I think that Agile itself doesn't really change much over time. There may be new frameworks and new things to learn. But I think, as you said, the most important aspect of a trainer's development is to practice in the field. But at the same time, I really believe you can't practice in the field unless you're a great, or at least a good communicator and someone who's able to transfer ideas. Did you know that when you first started your career as a scrum master? Were you aware that being a trainer was going to be part of your journey? I didn't know. I, I didn't even suspect really? <laughs> that it was going to be the part. Yeah. So was there a singular event or a collection of, um, you know, a, a collection of thoughts over time that made you go, you know what, I have to do this? I think I saw... I saw the need for it when it was um, one of the uh, Scrum Master jobs that I had here in Toronto is during the time other departments who were not the product development were coming to us and asking for some advice around how they can better organize their workflow and I saw that, they, that there is a need for us to teach them because they didn't know anything really. And through, through that teaching moment, I saw there is a need in general, not only to teach my team, which I could do through regular sprint events that we had, but there is also a need to teach others in the organization. And that's kind of realization came to me. And I think the first one, the first agile workshops that I had where I was extremely scared and nervous because I've never done this before. It was funny to think back to that point, um, but it was necessary, really. Now, prior to you becoming a trainer, you're spending a lot of your time around retrospectives, which some people would argue might be the most important scrum ceremony. What attracted you to that specialization? One of the things was that I kind of looked at the retrospectives as my performance review for the sprint because I felt that if a retrospective is going well, I did a good job as Scrum Master during the sprint. And when I say a retrospective went well, it's not that we were all just happy and uh, nothing to change, but we actually were focusing on solutions, we had some improvements, some productive discussions, and then I would feel good about myself as a Scrum Master. And then because it was, for me, a main, a key moment of a, of a sprint, 
I really wanted them to be successful. And that's where I started to collect the information and really prepare for the retrospectives because I was, I really wanted them to work. I really wanted them to be productive. And that's kind of how I collected so much information that I realized that I should share it. And you did that not only through the book, but you also have some scrum poker cards that you created as well. Yes, retrospective poker. So what, is yeah. that, what does that do? How does that help? So it's a great tool for teams to get involved in the retrospective even before it actually starts. It is kind of like a game where a Scrum Master can have a, an influence on the team but still allow the team to choose their own retrospective and the cards themselves have 20 different techniques and as a scrum master you can choose techniques based on the amount of time available, the maturity of the team, what are the key discussion points you want the team to focus on, select, pre-select say five, six techniques and then give it to your team and allow them to choose what kind of techniques they, technique they want to run and that way you really engage them in, in the process and they are much more willing to go to the retrospective because they participated in the in building it, basically. Um, and you, as a scrum master, have the tool right at your hand to to get to a more productive retrospective, right? With a better technique, with better discussion points. And when you meet somebody who let's say they're struggling with a retrospective, a fellow scrum master, if you have less than five minutes to explain to them how to maximize or make retrospectives better or what gotchas to watch out for, because I've noticed that, you know, so many teams take retrospectives like, well, we just go into a room and we talk about what sucks. And, you know, if the business doesn't want to come, they don't have to. And if we don't want to talk about hard things, we don't have to. And I feel like there's so much potential that we're missing by not doing them well. So what kind of advice would you give? Oh, in five minutes, that's hard. I have a, a full day class on retrospectives, <laughs> so it's kind of difficult to put it in a five minute or one sentence. <laughs> Just the key points, if a journalist came and asked you, you know, I need a, a 200 page or 200 word piece on retrospectives, what are some of the key points? Things that go wrong and things that you should start doing to make it better. So the key points I usually talk about and usually would like to highlight is retrospective is the most important event in during the sprint. If you have time, no time to do anything and you can only keep one sprint event, I would always keep the retrospective because it is the formal point where your team can actually get some improvements in their processes and how they work. And if you don't have a sprint planning, at least you have a sprint, uh, your sprint retrospective when you, where you can discuss how can you plan better, right? So it's, for me, it's the most important event. If you have no time for anything, keep the retrospective. And then another point, it is an opportunity really for a scrum master to detect if there are any problems that are happening in general in the team or organization and start focusing on solutions. If, if there are 
let's say, cultural challenges, or people are not really understanding the process, or there is a lot of organizational pressure, all of these challenges will surface in the retrospective. So it's a perfect point to observe and then t take this um, take these observations and start working on them outside of the retrospective. Now, both as a trainer and as a coach of teams and specifically teams doing retrospectives, I want to focus on for a sec. It's so hard to not give them the answer, isn't it? When yes. teams are struggling, how do you help teams find their own way to a better retrospective or find their own way to a solution to the problems that you just spoke about were so important to raise? I guess asking the right questions, and it means open-ended questions, and being comfortable with silence. If, um, if it's a retrospective and people are having a difficult time coming up with ideas or solutions, if you ask a right question, if you ask a powerful question, right, and then you let them think about it, and you do not give them any solutions, at some point they will get to it. And I've seen it so many times because, as you say, it's difficult to not give solutions to a team that is struggling. Yeah. Right? And, and that I think one of the skills for any Scrum Master to master is to ask the question and then not talk, even if it takes 10 minutes. That's really hard, isn't it? Yes. Just to let the silence sit there. Now, as we were talking, I was thinking about as there's been so much change in the past three, four months, and you've just started your teaching career. Have you noticed anything that is different in the questions that people ask, in the objectives they tell you that they're looking to solve? Has anything changed that indicates to you that our industry is shifting just in the way that your students talk now? I think obviously right now there is a lot more focus on virtual, remote, everything around working from home, how to facilitate discussions. So there is definitely a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Do you get a lot of questions now about how to pivot and adapt and how to use Scrum and Agile to do that as a business? Most of the time I am speaking to the scrum masters who are in the organizations. So it's they already know and they definitely see that as a way to go. Now I I see a bit more how to how to put it in the right way. People are a little bit concerned whether concerned about the effectiveness of scrum if they don't know how to facilitate it in a virtual setting. So that's actually a, an existential challenge for a Scrum Master. Yes. Interesting. Definitely. Okay. And in, in what sense, can you be specific about how, you know, what part of facilitation becomes more difficult just because we're connected by Zoom and not in person? Well, I think every sprint event becomes so much more difficult to to get to the purpose of, of it, right? To really 
get people talking and communicating and then that's where you might see much more of the uh, scrum butts coming up as you have additional meetings to to talk after the meeting because we didn't finish talking right <laughs> and then we say oh well our sprint planning is ineffective right because we need to meet right after the spring planning or the day after to plan again because we didn't finish planning before. So there is like the effectiveness in general is coming down. And uh, that's, that's where it becomes difficult, where there is a question, well, is this sprint planning the right way to do things if it's not really getting us the results we want? When you teach and just an intro to Scrum or a Scrum Fundamentals course, whatever that's called. What, what do you think is the most important thing that you teach new Scrum Masters? That change is hard and it takes time and we will not be able to do all of the things at once. It's more about recognizing where we are now and starting to take tiny steps towards where we want to be, but never forget what the vision is. So do not skew the rules or the vision of Scrum because it's hard now. Still remember where you want to go, yeah. what the destination is. I think that's really wise. It may be one of the most compelling things that anyone has said on this show, not to, not to discredit any past guest, but I think that we forget that this takes time. And we all know the magic bullet statement, you know, Scrum and Agile are not magic bullets or silver bullets, but I think we forget that this is hard to do. Change is really difficult for most people. There's an acceptance, there's new practices, there's new habitualization, but there's also that deep-rooted fear. And I think if I were to take, if I were to sign up for a a Scrum Master course tomorrow, I assume I would learn all kinds of technique. But I think what would be really valuable is to teach people to be patient with the change process. When Jason Little came in, he spoke about, I don't see resistance as a thing. I think they're just questions waiting to be answered. You know, you got to remember there's people on the other side that are really struggling with this. They're trying. But this is new and it's different. It represents change and we can't ever forget that. Yeah, def definitely. I, and I, I can see that in that we get impatient and I <laughs> myself am guilty of that and getting impatient with people and pushing for change too fast. And Since you brought it up, I'm going to ride it out into the sunset. What do you need to get better at aside from what you just said? Well, <laughs> being more patient. <laughs> yeah, that's one for sure. Yeah, I definitely got much better with the silence. That's really, the training really helped. Oh, a difficult question, now that I think about that. It's a difficult question or you need to get better at difficult questions. Definitely, yeah, so here you go, here's one. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me ask you something that may be a little easier. What really gets you upset, angry, or fired up about the current state of Agile? The lies. 
The lies. Oh, <laughs> damn, you're bringing it. All right. Tell me about the lies. Let's hear it. Uh, well, it kind of comes up from, from a recent experience that I'm having right now is um, I'm looking for someone to, um, to replace me as I'm moving away from one of the companies. And I, you have no idea how many applications I've read through that were just n- not straightforward about their real experiences. Really? And I could see that, yes, unfortunately. And I think that is the car- current state of Agile in general, not just going through the applications specifically, it's just an example, but I feel there are a lot of, say, um, specialists there who <laughs> might not really have the experience. <laughs> well, here, that, that opens up another door. Given that many people are pursuing certification as a way to improve their station, get a better job, start a new career, there will be a lot of people seeing as how there's a boon in online education even just in the past five months you're going to see a lot of people coming off with certifications Mm -hmm. with no experience yet what advice would you have for people who are starting out to try to get into the work field land a job and do it with competence i mean everyone has to get that first gig in order to say that they have any experience on their resume And yet you can't get a job unless you have the experience. So what do you think would be most helpful to someone in that position? I think that being passionate about really getting into that position, first of all, if it's a Scrum Master role, but also willing to learn. And I've seen a, a beautiful success story that showed exactly that. Someone who came in to us when I was working, um, in a bank and said, I want to become a scrum master, but I have absolutely no experience and no relevant experience really. So what do I do? And this person really insisted. And I remember she would stay next to me for half of the day, just looking at what I'm doing, just trying to learn what I'm doing. And it took a really long time um, well, not really. That's actually why this is a success story, that it didn't take that much, such a long time for this person to understand what the role is, to learn how to facilitate events, how to be a, a good Scrum Master. And in six months, I, I felt very comfortable with, by, with leaving her alone with a team that needed a lot of, t- a lot of help and a lot of co- coaching. Really? So it has more to do with your passion than your actual experience. Do you think that people should look for, you know, maybe when they were in school, before they even encountered Agile and Scrum, some of the things that they may have done in their past life that were Agile-like, do you think they can leverage those to to say, listen, being up front, I don't have experience yet. I've never had a Scrum Master job, but I've done backlog prioritization. I've done Scrum planning. I have used the Kanban board, but I did it working on my my thesis or, uh, you know, running an organization within my university or doing something in the community. Is that is that worthwhile? Does that help people in your opinion? I think it definitely does, especially when you might not have an opportunity to really even experience a real Scrum Master role. 
but there are many things that you can do to get the experience in various aspects of the role. So if you take your time to do some self-study and really understand what does a Scrum Master do all day? What are, this, what are the kind of skills they need to have? What are the traits they need to be uh, developing, right? And if you understand that, then you will know where to put your energy. For example, we talked about earlier, if a Scrum Master should be a good teacher, well, maybe you might not have the Scrum Master specific experience, but you're really good at teaching people and you can show that. Well, that's a point <laughs> towards your, your ability to be a good Scrum Master. I agree. You know, it sounds like just sitting here listening to you, that if someone were to take a course with you, that there is learning Scrum and learning what's in the textbook and learning what you need to pass the test. But there's something that you bring to it. Like, first of all, you have an excellent sense of what Agile is, what the most important concepts are, what you really need to, to grab onto. But you also have that other half of the leadership persona, which I hate to call it empathy because that's so bleh. Everyone <laughs> uses that word too much. But you really do have an excellent people sense. You. You understand that if you want to be successful in this role, you have to have passion. You can't forget the vision. I heard you say that. And you have to have patience with people. And I think I think those are such I, I'm gonna guess that's not that's not in the textbook or the exam guide. No. Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, tell me a little bit about your time in Toronto. How did you you know, what do you love about this city? You've worked to try to build community, as I have as well. What are your impressions of the city? What makes it special? And what makes our Agile culture so unique? I really love Toronto in general. And I think even though when I moved here, I have never been to Canada before. So it was. <laughs> <laughs> was it a bit of a shock? A little bit, I guess. Where were you, you know? from? Where'd you come from before? So I used to live in France, in Paris before, and then originally I'm from Russia, so I keep kind of going to the West. So, but it was definitely a positive experience. And what I really, well, usually what I love about the city is the, the summer life, the mm. events, everything that is happening. But yeah. obviously 2020, it's a little bit different. Um, so we, we don't really have all those great events that we usually have. But apart from that, the everything that is related to nature and as you talked about the community as well, I really enjoy people here. I feel that you can really create great communities because people really want to be part of a community and share their experiences and help others. And I haven't seen that, say, in Paris. Right. Maybe I just got unlucky, but I definitely were, was able to find it here. Now, I've heard that one many times, that one of the great things about Toronto Agile culture is the sharing. The people seem genuinely interested in making each other better. And I've even heard people say, you know, if someone in the community needs help, people will stop what they're doing and they'll say, listen, you know, I'll back you up on this or I'll, I'll spend some time with you. Like it's almost over and above. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to why that's true in Toronto, but not somewhere else like Paris, perhaps. 
I think one of the reasons why is that because there are so many different types of people here, so many different nationalities, people coming from different cities, countries, speaking all different languages, and I think that's what brings people together, because in a way we're kind of all in the same boat, you know, we experience the same, the same way, moving to a different country, and even if you have always been living here, you still have been exposed to many people coming in to the country. And I think that's what makes it special and that's why it, be it creates this sense of community because people really want to connect with others. others. There is a huge learning there and I, I believe it's so much more than wanting to connect. I think that people create excellent tribes when they go through adversity together. So as you say, whether you have landed here as an immigrant and had to start a new life or had to learn a new language or compete or redo chunks of your education because you're coming to a new country, or whether you're someone who's lived here their whole life and has had to integrate with the different thriving cultures in the Toronto scene, or whether we just have to weather the terrible commute and the horrible weather together, <laughs> there's a shared sense of having gone through something that's really visible. And I think that binds people together in a way that we can learn from. So my suggestion is always when you're trying to build elite teams is find a way to create something to go through together. That could be a push-up challenge. That could be, you know, a scavenger hunt. It could be anything that gives people a moment to bond over shared difficulty. I don't think we teach that. And I think that we should. How, how do you feel about that? I'm not sure how you teach that, though. It's an interesting <laughs> point, but how would you teach that? Well, some people would suggest that that's what Agile games are, is that in every Agile game, there's a little bit of competition, right? There's something mm -hmm. that you have to go through. Now, I was speaking with uh, an ex-Navy SEAL, Dave Rutherford, on my show, and he said, you know, human resources is not going to allow you to dump somebody in an ice bath if they don't, you know, make a good lap time on a, on a, on a you know, an office sprint or something. But... But I think there are ways to, for example, in the forge, when I bring people together, I give them some kind of a challenge. And the challenge was really simple. One of them one day was, draw me a perfect square. No questions, no prototypes, no nothing. Draw me a perfect square. So the first thing that happens is that some people will be concerned with, am I doing it right? Other people will be concerned with, am I doing it fast enough? Other people will try to be creative and show off their creativity. So all of these different approaches will come together and clash a little, but in a friendly way. And it, people start laughing and people start collaborating and people start cheating and all kinds of wonderful things start happening that creates an unforgettable moment. And the point is not to draw the perfect square. It's to go through the confusion, the mayhem, the chaos, the uncertainty, and be okay with it. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's a way of creating that condition of challenge, competition, and adversity without actually harming or scaring anybody. Makes sense, yeah. I, I guess this is something that we do in our Professional Scrum Foundations course where we give teams uh, an actual product to build and leave them on their own to figure out how to do that. 
and it's interesting to see how people adapt to this complexity of work and trying to figure out different ways to achieve their desired result. But exactly. it takes time. When you do a first aid course, they always do that thing where half the people in the class leave the room, shut the door, and the half stay inside. The half that stay inside become actors and they have to pretend to have certain injuries. So, so they'll say, you're at the scene of like a 911 call. Mm. And you have to come in very quickly, assess everybody in triage, but there's no scripts. And so people can act however they want. They've been given some direction, but it's almost like a, a total role play. And you start to feel a little bit of the pressure of walking into uncertainty, not knowing what you're facing, and trying to keep your head so that you can ask the right questions and start to lift the veil of uncertainty so you can start helping people. And we don't really do that. So often training is about teaching knowledge. Here's information that you don't have, now you have it. I'm gonna test you to make sure you remember it. But we don't put people in scenarios often enough, I find to make sure that that learning is real and that it stays with them. So anyway, just a thought. Well, listen, what are some of the things that are coming up for you? What are you working on? What do you want the world to know about? What's next for you? Many things, but I'm trying to focus and <laughs> prioritize my list of uh, my wish list of yeah. things that mm -hmm. I want to release. Right now, a lot of the work I'm putting into is the online course, Success with Agile and Scrum, that is in right now kind of in the middle of the second module. And once I get the second module done, I would like to start getting it available for people to sign up. And then I'm also starting the virtual meetups a little bit more regularly right now with people to talk about liberating structures and allow just people from all over the world to come together and share their experiences. And I usually have people from, from all, honestly, all of the countries. I have people from Europe, I have people from India, from Australia, pretty much everywhere. Uh, whatever the time is of the mm -hmm. event, yep. it's pretty interesting. Sometimes people connect and it's like 1 a.m. where they are which I love the dedication. And what does that diversity of background bring to the Agile conversation? Are there differences, local differences, different countries, different cities that you notice? I think it helps people realize that we often go through the same challenges mm. and it doesn't matter where we are. And because we sometimes feel so alone if we have a certain challenge we're facing in as we're working with the team and when we people come together and they start discussing those challenges they see that everybody has been going through the same thing so it means that we can really learn from each other and understand how we what are different approaches that we tried maybe they worked here but they didn't work here, and how can we come to better ways of solving those challenges? You know something, yeah. in a time when we're so focused on the differences between one another, I love your message of, at the end of the day, we're all going through the same experiences together, no matter where we are, where we've come from. So, Daria, I love your style. I like the way you do things, and I always enjoy working with you. I can't wait till we have a chance to work together again. 
And uh, thank you so much for joining me today. You've shared so many things that I know for my tribe and for me have been inspirational and educational. And I thank you so much for that. Where can, where can people find you? Scrummaster.com is the website where I put all of the information I have to try to connect people. I'm uh, looking into creating a forum as well. So it's Scrum Master, that's mastering Scrum, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little um, wordplay. And that's a great place to find free resources, downloads, and just connect with, with me and in the future, more people in the community. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to see you. And as I said, I look forward till next time. Thank you. So what did you learn? I think for me, the biggest takeaway was that it's important to remind ourselves, change is hard, you can't do it all at once, and we just have to acknowledge where we are and take little steps, but never forget the vision of Scrum and don't bend the rules to try to get there faster. Now you can find Daria on LinkedIn or at scrummastered.com. Thank you for joining us tonight, and I look forward to next time.